So today is the second class session. Um, and we talked last session uh, a lot about um, the sort of uh, way the class is going to run and that kind of thing. And one thing I didn't have enough time for is to tell you about some of the electronic resources that are available to you uh, to help you with the uh, classwork. Um, first of all, I, I assume, and correct me if I'm wrong, is there anybody here who has not yet logged into my PCC? Okay, so everybody has. Good. Um, so one of the things um, with my PCC that you're going to have to be on top of is email, and I'll tell you a little bit about that in a second. I'll also talk about the home page for the course, which is um, going to be useful for you, especially if you want to get any of the documents that I hand out in class, like the syllabus or the calendar, and if I make revisions to the calendar, that's on there. Uh, the textbook has a website that will help you um, with uh, like uh, quizzes and pre-tests and post-tests and stuff like that. No, I'm sorry, that's in my psych lab, but this has like quizzes and flashcards. My psych lab has some more quizzes and flashcards. Uh, I'll tell you about um, my podcast. Uh, I, you notice the microphone and all the wires and everything. Uh, I record my lectures uh, to an audio recording and I make it available to you to download as a podcast. Uh, it also includes the slides for the lecture too. And I'll show you how that works in a second. And the last thing is really just frivolous. It's um, a web blog that I maintain, like a blog, you've heard of blogs, uh, called Psychology and More, and um, I'll show you what that looks like. So my PCC, as I said, um, you're going to need to be checking your pcc.edu email account regularly, every day if you can, uh, at least every other day, because that's the only way that I have of communicating with you. Um, uh, I I can only use your your PCC email account. Um, and so if I'm going to make a change to the calendar, for example, uh, you know, I'll probably send an email to you saying I changed the calendar and give you the link to go download it. Um, I'll hand it out in class most likely also, but this will give you a chance to find out about it earlier, which may be uh, important. So. Um, And also, uh, there's a message board there, um, which doesn't typically get used during the term. But um, one of the things with class participation is, uh, you know, you can come to all the classes and do all the lab exercises, but if you're not interactive with the other students in the class, you know, during lecture, if you're not sort of um, asking questions or maybe um, providing answers or examples uh, for other students' questions, then your um, participation credit won't be as good as it possibly could be. So um, if you're a shy kind of person and you don't just don't like talking in class, um, this is one way to get uh, participation credit by using the message board, and I'll show you a little bit about that too. Uh, so let me take you into uh, my PCC. I'll log in here. And uh, if you go to the tab that says My Courses, and let me take a screenshot of this. Uh, 
me take a screenshot of this. That's better. Um, and uh, if you go into the My Courses tab there, and you'll see a list of the courses that you're taking. In this case, you see a list of the courses that I'm teaching. And uh, if you click into uh, this course section, which is going to be listed as Intro to Psych Part 1, you'll see a screen that looks something like this. And uh, you'll notice some tools here on the left-hand side. So that's not supposed to do that. Um, so you've got this uh, files is going to be one that's going to be important. And the message board is also down here. And then the email. Those are probably going to be the most important tools for you on my PCC. If you wanted, for example, to post a message to the message board, if you click post a topic, it'll ask you for a title and then you can go in and actually create a message that other people can see if they log into my PCC and go to the uh, message board. Um, the files link is important because if you click on there, you'll see um, Uh, the file that contains the study guide that I told you not to buy at the bookstore. Remember that thicker study guide, the grade aid, um, because the publisher has revised it and they haven't printed the new copies, but they've made it available to me to give to you as a student. I have to keep it here because this restricts access to it to only people in this class. But if you click on this leftingradeaid.zip file in the files area, It'll download that uh, file, and here's what it'll look like. You'll have a series of uh, documents. Oops, get this bigger. And um, so for each chapter, you have a Word document that has the material for the grade aid study guide. And if you download that and open it up, you'll see something like, oh, maybe you won't. If I double click on that and open it up, There's the uh, chapter one for the study guide. Uh, so what is psychology, key terms, learning objectives. Um, as you read things you want to kind of be aware of. So you might read these questions before you actually do the reading. And that'll key you to look for certain things in the reading. Um, as an active learner, this is like kind of a fill in the blank kind of thing. Um, you know, the main idea of the psychoanalytic perspective is conflicts in childhood and how they affect personality and development. Um, so those are uh, ways of testing your knowledge. And remember um, what I said about research on testing and memory. Uh, 
your best improvement in memory in terms of testing comes not from studying, 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 but from studying, testing yourself, and maybe restudying or retesting yourself. Um, so use these, uh, you know, to give your to give yourself an idea of where you need to uh, maybe shore up your studying. There are three different practice tests. Practice test one, practice test two, practice test three, and a comprehensive practice test, and some true-false questions. Now notice that there's a page number here. Um, these are the page numbers where the question, the answers would be located. So uh, if you get one of these answers incorrect, go back to the page and see if you can figure out why you got it incorrect, how you misunderstood what was written, right? Uh, whoops. Hello. And then uh, there's some essay questions. Those are useful. And then there's a, a crossword puzzle. If you're a crossword puzzle kind of person, I'm not. These don't work well for me, but for some people, they may find it uh, useful. Okay? Now, in that uh, file of study guide stuff, so you've got all of the chapters here. Let me take a screenshot of this for the podcast. So you've got all of the chapters here, um, and we'll only be using the first 10 chapters. And then down here is the answers section, and this contains all of the answers for the practice tests and the crossword and all that kind of thing. So if you open that document up, you'll see the answers. This other stuff down here may be useful for you. You might check it out. I'm not sure. I haven't looked at it. Okay. Yep, question. Yes. No. Um, on the course calendar, you'll notice that uh, we, about every week, not quite every week, uh, we have an exercise due from the Bell uh, Critical Thinking Workbook, which is the purple book. So, um, yeah, so you've got the, um, you've got this in print. Ignore that. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, one of the things that I uh, said at the beginning of class last time was um, that is, has been superseded by this. That's what that is. You've got the entire contents of that book available to you to download from the MyPCC web files. Yes, these are corrected. Those, that's incorrect. There are, there are incorrect answers in the answer keys. There's typos all over the place. It's a terrible book. And I told people not to buy it. Um, apparently, you missed that um, advice. But um, Okay, yeah. Yeah. Um, so um, what you're going to need to do is buy one of these purple books, which is the James Bell um, workbook. And these are available in the bookstore, uh, $17. And that's what the workbook exercises are. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you bought them as a bundle, if they, yeah, if they give you a hard time about it or not. Okay. Okay, good, good. So, yeah, do go back to the bookstore and get your money back for that because it's junk. Um, and if you buy the bundle with this, the text, new textbook with this bundle together, um, that's the right bundle to get. It's the same price. 
Yeah. Yes. Oh. Yeah. That's the correct textbook. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so that's the uh, grade aid study guide. And that, again, is available on my PCC in the files section here um, and download that zip file. And hopefully your computer can unzip the zip files. Most computers can. If you have trouble with that, you can always use the computers here in the computer lab. Yeah, question? They're, yeah, they're free copies of unzipping software, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so back to this. The other tool over here that's useful is the email tool. And if you click on the email tool, uh, what it'll do is it'll allow you to send an email to anybody in class, including me, um, and uh, or everybody in class. Um, so if you want to send an email to somebody in class, you can just go over here, and I'm going to send an email to Carolyn uh, and click send, and I'm going to say, um, hi, hi, Carolyn, I am really glad you signed up for my class. Who's Carolyn, by the way? Oh, I'm really glad to have you. Um, I really like your um, pink and brown hat. Is it pink? Yeah. Um, uh, where <laughs> so ever did you find such a fetching piece of garb. So, um, you know, you can use it to communicate personally with other people in the class. I recommend not using it for stalking purposes. <laughs> um, and I'm not going to send that email because it's a little too creepy. Um, oops. And so, uh, or you can click on this box next to member name and that selects everybody in the class. Yeah, uh-oh. <laughs> um, that would be useful, for example, if you wanted to form study groups. And so you might send an email saying, hey, you know, I live in uh, Gresham, and I'd like to form a study group, but we can only meet during the day because this is a scary place at night. Man, I, listen, I watch the news in this town, and it's like, if anything bad happens, it's happening in Gresham. Does anybody live there? Okay. Oh man, it doesn't doesn't look good. I, it makes me not want to go there. So um, so anyway, uh, so you could use that to communicate with the rest of the people in class. Or if you want to make an announcement in class, you can do that too. I'm happy to give you time at the beginning of class or something. Um, the other tools here aren't all that particularly useful, I don't think. Um, um, so anyway, that's my PCC. Uh, questions on that? Yeah. No, it's different chat. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just any of the standard e uh, chat clients: AOL, Instant Messenger, Google Chat. Um, yeah, I have a Gmail number there. Um, ICQ, MSN. Yeah, I've got all all kinds of ways. Whatever. ICQ and AIM, the same service. 
Is it really? Yeah, I have no idea. I can't keep track. Yeah. So, uh, whatever one you use, you can get in touch with me. Okay, so I'm going to log out of there and go back to this guy. Whoops, what happened here? All right. So that's my PCC. Um, the course homepage. Um, the course homepage has the basic information about this course that you have on the syllabus, so it's not particularly useful for that reason. But it also does have a place for you to download files. Um, this address is on the front page of your syllabus. So if you go to that um, address, you will go to the page, my page for this class. And what you'll find useful over here are these quick links. So these are links directly to these other resources that I've been talking about. So this is a good portal to use to get to the other resources like um, the uh, MyPCC and then the textbook websites and uh, my blog. And then this downloads page, which is probably going to be one of the more useful things for you. If you click on there, you'll see all of the files that I have available to download. Let me take a screenshot of that for the podcast. And um, so you see here like my syllabus, um, the uh, calendars. So if I make a revision to the calendar, I'll post it here and remove the previous one. Um, study guides I'll post up here for you also. And um, these are some worksheets that we're going to use during the class, but I'll, I'll be supplying you copies in class anyway. Um, so that's the downloads. And you can also get there by hovering over this teaching uh, tab and then going down here and clicking on that downloads. Okay, well, we'll go back to the main page and I'll take a screenshot of that too. And um, what you'll notice down toward the bottom here, if you scroll down here, are um, some of the links here for some of the various resources that you have available. So for the textbook, for example, um, we'll go in and talk about that. You can click, click directly from here. Okay. If you also, um, I also gave you on the syllabus a link just to my directly to my home page, which is uh, spot.pcc.edu slash tilde dlato. And um, this is basically information about me, um, but you can also get to um, some of these other resources from here and use these tabs to go and look at stuff. If you're really interested and you're bored one night, you can um, see what research I'm interested in, what articles I've published, um, my resume, the Vida, it's like a resume, and fun things I like to do in my spare time. Because I asked you what you're doing in your spare time, so it's only fair that I give you access to that information. There's nothing useful for blackmail on there, so it's not particularly. There's no details on how you worship? No, no. Although, although if you want, I can show you a picture of my J William James altar sometime, yeah. No, I don't have a William James altar. I am joking. I know. <laughs> right. 
Um, okay, so the home page. The textbook uh, has two different websites that have study resources for you. Um, one is available to everybody. The other is available only to people who who bought the textbook. When you bought the textbook bundle, you got one of those little MySciCloud things. Um, those people who bought a new textbook, with the new textbooks, you probably have the MySciCloud um, folder. Does anybody have one here? I think I saw it. Do you have, have one? Let me show you what that looks like. Yeah. So this is the MySciCloud um, little folder thing. And inside it has an access code. If you don't want to use my psych lab, don't open that. And you can actually sell it on one of the used book uh, sites, websites. Um, but I'll show you what my psych lab is. I'll go there first since I'm talking about it. Um, if you go to that uh, coursecompass.com and they have the email address on that little folder. Um, and you have already, you already have a login. Here's what you have to do. It says if you're a new user, return to the home page. And if you click there, here's what you'll see. Um, you'll see uh, the main page here. And under students, you have a place where you can register. So the first time you go in, you're going to click on register. And it's going to tell you um, that you need the, the email address, the course ID, and the access card. Um, I'll give you the course ID in a second. And when you go next here, you sign away your life to them. And then it has a place here where you can um, enter the access code, which is inside your little uh, MySciCloud folder that you got with the textbook. Um, let me show you what my psych lab has inside of it so you'll know. I'll log in using my account. And if once you log in, here's what you'll see. Um, you'll see a list of all the courses that you have. In this case, I've got a bunch of them, but you'll probably only see this one. Side 201A, Spring 2008. And if you click on that, um, you'll see a page that looks like this. Whoops, I'm sorry. Did I put spring? Yeah. yeah, I'll change that. Oops, it is winter, yeah. I'm sort of, I'm wishing for spring, I guess. Um, so you'll see a, a window that looks like this. Uh, and for each chapter, it's got different. Uh, tools that you can use. So let's go down to chapter one and you'll see a window that looks like this. And um, so here you've got a pretest. So you do this before you actually read the chapter. And this kind of gives you an idea of what kinds of things are going to be covered in the chapter and how much you don't know yet because you haven't read it yet. And then um, after you're done reading and studying, then you take this post-test. And the thing with this pretest and post-test is that once you do that, it'll give you this um, study plan that kind of tells you what parts of the chapter you might want to brush up on. So it may be useful for your studying. I've never personally used it to see how useful it is. Um, and then these uh, little documents down here have um, 
just information um, about these sections, each section of the chapter, and um, some kind of tutoring stuff and some research navigator stuff. You can play with that and see what you think about it. Um, and then at the end, it's got this chapter exam. And so these are all kind of ways to test yourself. And again, this is um, shown to be useful for helping with your uh, memory and retention for this information. Um, and you can try out some of these other tools that it has in there. Um, down here, it's got a glossary. So um, sometimes it's useful if you don't know how a word is pronounced to listen to it being pronounced. So it's got that. Um, well, that's interesting. Grade 8 study guide. Click here to access the grade 8 study guide. Huh. Don't use that one because that's probably the old version. Okay. Um, and so um, then there's some additional stuff down here. So these are all parts of the textbook. So that's my psych lab. Now, um, the other tool that's available to you, if you haven't bought the My Psych Lab part of the textbook, like if you got a used textbook and you didn't have that little card, um, you still have access to this textbook website at A.B. Longman. And if you click on there, if I click on there, it'll open up this um, website. And it's got for each chapter um, different learning tools. So I just clicked on chapter one. Take a screenshot here. And um, so it's got learning objectives. On the right here, it says web links, chapter one practice test, flashcards, profile. The probably most important stuff is going to be this practice test and maybe the flashcards if you use those. If you look at the practice test, it's basically got 26 multiple choice questions to help test your knowledge. Um, the flashcards are basically online flashcards. And essentially what they are is um, uh, just like flashcards that you would produce yourself. Here's what they look like. Um, it's got a term on one side. And if you hit this flip card uh, on the bottom here, it'll bring up the definition. So just like you would with a normal sort of flashcard. Right, And you can go to the next card or the previous card, and it'll give you the term, and you can flip the card for the definition. And you can reverse it so it shows you the definition, and then you have to answer the uh, term and that kind of thing. Yeah. What's that? Uh, oh, uh, if you go up here and say view cards by definition. Yeah, yeah, I'll show you from my web page how you get here most easily. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a it's a link off of the web page for the course, yeah. But I'll show you that too in a second. Now, I'm the kind of person that doesn't usually find these flashcards, these online flashcards very useful. I get a lot of value from physically writing out the flashcards because I'm a, that's one of the ways I learn, I think. So for me, that works. For some other people, this may be a useful tool. So uh, I'll leave it up to you to figure out whether that's um, going to be useful for you or not. Um, 
so that's the textbook website. And as I said, um, you can get there from my Psych201A page, which I give you the web address for on the syllabus. And over here in the quick links is the textbook website. And if you click on there, it'll go into that site. Yep. Yep. So look on the quick links. Or even down at the bottom of the page, I've got these textbook study resources, and I've got a link there. So you should be able to find it easily enough from the course homepage. Okay. Other questions on that? Yeah. Um, so the question is, if we have all these online study resources, um, why would we need the grade aid study guidebook? Why would you need the textbook? Uh, the purple one? Why do you need the actual textbook? Well, these are just like practice tests and stuff. Actually, um, there, some of these actually have the text of the book also. Um, but mostly these are study aids, and you're going to want to read the book in order to get the information which you'll use to be able to answer those uh, practice tests and stuff like that, or to do the flashcards, yeah. Yeah, is that clear? Yeah. Yeah, they're a supplement to the textbook. They don't replace the textbook, yeah. Okay, and... So that's, we saw my psych lab and the textbook website. Oh, you're going to need a course ID for my psych lab. Um, here's what you'll enter for the course ID. Sorry about the squeak. So uh, my last name, Layton in lowercase, followed by uh, this five-digit number. And I'm not telling you what it is because I'm recording my voice on the podcast and I don't want to make it public to everybody. Although you need the access code to get in there anyway. But Okay. So if you're using my psych lab, you'll need to write that down. Um, okay, so the next thing that I'll tell you about is the podcast. So let's say that, um, you know, your child gets sick or you get sick suddenly and you can't make it to class or your car breaks down or something like that, but you really want to catch up on the lecture that I do and the class discussion we have because a lot goes on here in class that really enriches your um, uh, learning experience, I think. Um, well, I provided a means for you to um, go back and download the lecture, including the audio, but also the slides that I use during the lecture. And it's in something called a podcast. Anybody here used podcasts already? How would you define a podcast? What are the essential features of a podcast? What makes them different from just like downloading an MP3 music file, yeah? Um, they subscribe to them. Okay. Yeah, the really, the thing about podcasts is 
you subscribe to it like you do a daily newspaper. And every day that a new edition or a new volume or a new um, copy is released, your software program will go out there and find out that there's a new one and download it for you. So it's, it's something that happens automatically for you, and you don't have to go to a lot of work to go somewhere and find an MP3 file and download it and then turn it, put it on your music player and listen to it. Yeah. Do I have to slow my computer down with um, no, not necessarily. <laughs> um, iTunes is useful, and I recommend using it uh, because right now it's the only way to look at the slides if you're using an M like an MP3 um, program. But I'm working on, a, on an alternate method for that right now, and I think it'll work. So let me show you that in a second. Yeah, 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 Windows Vista in general. Uh, yeah, and iTunes. Yeah, load in another program. Yeah, in some cases you might not want to. So let me show you some alternate ways to get to it too. Um, but if you're running, um, you know, uh, Windows 2000 or NT uh, or uh, Mac OS, iTunes generally doesn't cause too many problems. Um, so let me show you what this looks like. Um, So this is the main uh, sort of iTunes interface. Um, if you launch iTunes, usually it'll start up by going to the iTunes store. And this is basically um, a place where you can buy music, you, you can buy songs, albums, you can buy movies, download them, watch them, stuff like that. Uh, but you also notice that it has uh, podcasts. And so um, if you click on podcasts, you'll see that there are tons of um, podcasts on different subjects. Whatever hobby or interest you have, there's probably a podcast on it. And for the most part, these are free downloads. You don't have to pay for them. Um, here's how um, you will get to the podcast for this course. If you go over to the home page, my homepage uh, for this course, at the bottom here, you'll see a link for the um, podcast. And um, if you click on that link, that's the easiest way to get to it. Um, if you click on that link, it'll bring up the iTunes store and it'll bring you to the page in iTunes that has um, the subscription link for my podcast. And if you press subscribe here, it will um, go out and subscribe you to the podcast. And what that means is up here in podcasts, it'll show up, intro to psychology lectures, and it'll start downloading the first episode that's available. The, uh, the most recent episode that's available. Yeah, question. Will it also download what? No, okay. you know, it just does the first one at first. And then if you don't already have these other ones, like these are previous ones that I've recorded, if you don't have them, it'll give you this little button you can press get. Um, you don't need these because they're for the second quarter of this course. Um, so um, once it's downloaded this, then you can play it. So. If I press play, let me go back to the beginning. You'll hear my voice. So hopefully this is where 
There's a little bit of audio noise in here that caused some trouble. So uh, this is a point in the lecture where I was talking about um, filling out those index cards and that kind of thing and talking about who I am and stuff. Okay, so that's the audio to the podcast. But what's most valuable and what students tell me is valuable for them in terms of podcasts is that they can actually see the visual material that's being presented during class also. Because I use a lot of um, you know slides and um, material that's useful to you in, in the presentation. If you're in iTunes, the way to access that material is with this little button down here. It's kind of hidden, but this is a button that's called the Artwork Viewer button. And it says, show or hide item artwork. This was originally used to hold the album art for music. Uh, and when Apple created the what's called the enhanced podcast format, which is what I use, they created the ability to have these slides embedded with the audio file. And so as I give the lecture, as I go through in the audio, these slides change when I change the slides in the presentation. So uh, if I press play here and I start fast forwarding through here, here I'm yakking on about myself. You know, I like to talk about myself. So. So now I'm talking about the syllabus and course guide, so the slide changes. And then I'm going to talk about the calendar. And then I'm going to talk about the textbook and the um, workbook. And so that gives you an idea of how the slides kind of are automatically synchronized with the audio. Now, you might get to a certain point where the slides have a lot of detail on them and it's hard to read. So if you look at this slide, for example, it's going to be real difficult to read that. But all you have to do is uh, click in that little um, area there and it'll pop up a window that has the slide in a large format. And if you're playing and you have this window up, it'll just keep changing the slide as the uh, lecture goes through. Okay. Another way to get there, if you, um, if you somehow get lost and you want to find the podcast and you don't know how to, all you have to do is go up in the iTunes store. If you click here in the iTunes store and you search for my name, it'll show you all of the uh, podcasts that I currently have um, up on the iTunes store. Um, you want this yellow one over here, um, which is Intro to Psych. This is one that I'm not updating anymore, and this is for my abnormal psych class. So um, if you click on that one, you'll get back to that same page where you can subscribe. Okay? These are pretty big files, so if you're on a slow Internet connection at home, for example, um, you may not want to try to download 20 megabytes of um, audio and slides. Um, in that case, use one of the Macintosh computers in the computer lab in the campus center here, and those will uh, give you access to iTunes and downloading it. Now, I said that I'll have uh, probably, um, oops, how do I get back here now? 
And I said that I'll probably um, have it available on my web blog. So um, let me let, just talk about this, and then uh, we'll take a short break. But uh, here's the address for my web blog, danalayton.edublogs.org. Again, you can get to that from the course homepage or from my homepage as a link. But if I click on there, I'll show you what that looks like. This is a blog that I maintain that I use to tell you about um, various uh, research studies that I learn about, mostly on the internet, um, and give you some information. So for example, I just read about a study that looked at how um, stereotypes that you hold affect your memory of events, right? Um, I'm also working on getting the podcasts available here, and this is um, an early attempt that didn't work quite right, but this uh, podcast that I'm recording today should appear correctly on the um, web blog. And you'll notice the categories over here, one of the categories is podcasts. And if you click on podcasts, oops, let me show you, take a web shot of this. For the podcast, um, it'll have only the podcasts here, so that'll be an easy way to go back and find them if you don't want to use iTunes to get to them. That's probably the most convenient way at this point. Um, if you're so inclined, uh, whoops, you can uh, look at some of the other categories, like the human sexuality one, is always fun. This is a really hilarious video that um, is a condom use promotion video, uh, but it's done in a very sort of Bollywood style. Um, it's actually quite funny. I recommend um, going and checking it out. Okay, so that is um, the weblog. Um, so here's the deal. You know, you don't have to use any of this stuff. You, know, you can just read the textbook come to lecture, um, you know, take the exams, and you'll probably do fine. Uh, you can read the textbook, come to lecture, use the grade aid study guide thing, and you'll probably do fine. Or you can read the textbook, come to lecture, use the grade aid study book, use the online resources, you know, go use the podcast, use the um, webcast, whatever you're comfortable with, um, you know, do that. Um, you know, play around with this stuff and see how it works for you. We all learn in different ways. So I can't tell you which of these is going to work best for you. All I can do, as I said, is be a facilitator and provide these resources to you, and whichever ones you find useful, um, have at it, right? Um, that's uh, what I'm going to talk about in terms of that. Um, let's take a little break. It's about 5 after now. Uh, can you come back here at uh, 4.15, and we'll take the next 35 minutes and start talking about the history of psychology, and um, probably that's all we'll get to today. So I'll see you back here in a bit. Enough of that nonsense. I don't take this. I don't take this class too seriously. What's that? I was in Canada for three years. I do, and uh, and I still will occasionally um, find myself 
reverting to using like I will call people the keener and in the United States people are like are you trying to insult me and I'm like no it's actually the opposite it's actually like uh, a keener is someone who it's usually used in an academic sense right and it's someone who is particularly maybe bright motivated um, you know on the ball in class and stuff and in the United States, we don't have a term for people like that. We call them like nerds, which is has this really awful negative connotation, right? So um, yeah, so uh, yeah, I like Keener. Um, and I occasionally will. Uh, it it went away after about being here about two or three months, but I was using Zed a lot. Yeah. No, uh, although I make friend I make fun of my friends in Canada who say a boot. Yeah, yeah. But I've, I never could, I never could call the couch a Davenport. That was one thing I couldn't do. That was totally beyond me. So, all right. Yeah. Okay. Uh huh. Ew. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We'll uh, we'll talk in this class about uh, conditioning and learning, and um, we'll talk about that as a conditioned response um, to drinking soda. Yeah, or pop. Yeah, or Coke. <laughs> um, okay, so we're going to talk about how. Um, psychology has gotten to where it is today. Um, psychology didn't start out looking like it does today. Psychology went through um, an evolution, really. Uh, it starts out in philosophy and trying to figure out how does the mind work, how do people's behavior work, and it, trans it transitions into a science. And in the late 1800s, um, your book talks about Wilhelm Wundt's lab uh, in Germany in 1879. In the late 1800s, we start seeing people actually using the scientific method and the methods of science to study human behavior. And that's when psychology really becomes a scientific field of its own. Before that, it was just part of philosophy, part of trying to understand the mind and behavior. So, uh, but again, that what your book doesn't cover is the whole sort of um, academic tradition that has led to being able to study uh, behavior from a scientific standpoint. And that all starts out in philosophy. So what I'm going to do is mostly talk about the older roots of, of psychology and let you use the textbook for the newer stuff, the scientific stuff that you'll be learning as you go through. Bless you. Yep. Um, so let me put up this word. If you see that word, what do you think of? Something that's the real you. What else? 
humanness or humanity. Yeah, what else? The essence. What? Think of music? Who do you think of? Soul music. Who's, who do you think of when you think of soul? You think of the godfather of soul, James Brown. And I can't, I can't ever talk about soul without thinking about James Brown. And when I think about James Brown, I have to do my James Brown tribute. Love that. That's soul. Yeah. That is soul. That's soul. That's that kind of essence, that kind of vitality, that um, passion, right? And that's really what soul is about. He had it. He had it down. So there's a reason he's the godfather of soul. And um, bless, his, bless his heart. Bless his soul. Rest in peace. Um, so, But if we go to... Um, think about this in a more sort of academic sense. If we look for the definition of soul in the um, dictionary, here's what we find. The American Heritage Dictionary says, soul is the animating and vital principle in human beings. Wow, that's pretty intense. So that kind of gets at a lot of what you guys were talking about, right? Um, Credited with the faculties of thought, action, and emotion, and often conceived as an immaterial entity. So you said it has no mass. It's not part of this physical world, right? Um, but it has this somehow, it, 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 takes an, it makes us animated and vital, alive, right? Vitality. And so it's really important. And so how could you study human behavior or humanity itself without considering the soul? So how is psychology related to the soul then? Well, if we talk about the soul as being this um, vital principle that has the faculties of thought, action, and emotion, if you look at the definition of psychology, which is in your textbook, you'll see that Lefton and Brannon say that psychology is the science of behavior and mental processes. These are the same things. Thought, action, and emotion are behavior and mental processes. So really, all it is, is the science of the soul. Trying to find a scientific way to study something that really, um, so far, as an immaterial entity, right, is really beyond the ability to study scientifically. So this is going to be the main challenge in psychology. How do we study things 
that are so uh, ephemeral, that are so immaterial, and how do we make sense of them? And that's going to be the challenge for the scientific part of psychology. Philosophers don't have that same kind of uh, restriction, right? They can talk about immaterial things um, logically and reason it out, and they don't have to have scientific evidence that they exist or don't exist. They can prove that they exist through reason and logic, but science doesn't do that. Science looks for evidence. Um, so if we look at the roots of the word psychology, we get psyche from the Greek, which is soul or mind. We'll sort of more call it mind now than we do soul. Uh, and ology, um, the science of or the study of. So it's the science of the soul, the study of the soul, right? Okay, so why do I have a blank slide? That's a good question. All right. Um, oh, that's because we have to go to a long time ago in a galaxy not so far away. Um, what's that? Yes, we're going to go to story time now. So everybody get their pillows out. We're going to start nap time afterwards. Um, let's, let, let me tell you a story about um, how people have come about thinking about the soul and the body and the mind. Um, so when we think about philosophy, we can go back to what I'll call primitive philosophy, pre-Greek philosophy. Um, and I put primitive in quotes because that implies that somehow that stuff is primitive and what we do now is very modern or um, scientific, right? Um, but here's the deal. Knowledge evolves and what we know now is going to change. Here's what I like to put up at the first day of class. I forgot to do it in this class. Let me put this on the board. Everything you learn in this class may be shown to be incorrect. What psychology students were learning in 1910, 1920, a lot of what they were learning at that time has since been shown to be incorrect through scientific evidence, right? So don't be convinced that everything you're going to learn here today is the gospel truth, right? to venture a bit into theology, but we'll be talking about that in a second. Um, it's part of an evolving stream of knowledge. And so what I have to do, what I want to do today is kind of give you a little bit of a sense of how that stream of knowledge has evolved to where we are now, but that doesn't mean it's not going to change from now uh, for the next two or three, five, ten, twelve hundred years, right? Um, and what's the best thing that you can get out of this class is not the facts of psychology, but rather how to think and how to do critical thinking and how to think about 
what your experience is and what the experience of others is. But anyway, that's my that's my cautionary tale. Don't don't think you're just going to learn the facts in here and that's going to be it. It's an evolving science. Um, so primitive philosophy has to deal with this difficult issue of knowing that we have a physical, tangible body, right? I can physically stand here and hold on to this podium. This is my physical being. This is, you know, this is basically irrefutable, right? That I have this physical being, although um, in real philosophy we can start talking about how this is all an illusion, but let's step away from that. But basically we have these bodies, we know that they're part of us, um, but here's what happens. If I get knocked on the head with a rock and I fall over unconscious, I'm alive, right? I'm breathing, but where's, where's my soul? It's chilling somewhere, right? It must, you know, must have gone hang out somewhere else, right? Because I don't have that animating vital uh, stuff anymore, right? That soul. Um, so this is going to be a problem. When people go to sleep, where do they go? When I go to sleep, I know that people are telling me that, you know, I'm not moving and that I seem, that I look like I'm dead, but I remember having these journeys, right? I remember going places in my dreams and doing things. So that must be my soul that's traveling. So this is going to be a big struggle with how to figure out what's the tangible part and what's the, in hold on a second, what's the intangible part. To add even more complexity to it, I remember, I, I can remember being in another place while I'm in this place, right? My physical body is here. That means my soul must be in other places. I can think of myself being in my office sitting at my desk. But I, I know I'm here holding on to this podium. So I know I'm not there, but I can think of being there. So how do we do that? And so this is all very difficult to, um, to really pin down how the soul exists um, dependent on the body. It must be separate and it must have other uh, principles. Yeah. Sure, sure. So people who are in a coma, where is their soul? They're not, there's no vital animating force there. Um, sometimes they'll recover memories of what happened during comas. Generally, they'll, they'll have very little memory. But yeah, that's another good example. Um, coma and unconsciousness of different sorts. We'll kind of get into some of the problems of consciousness when we go over that chapter and the difficulty of pinning down the notion of what consciousness is. Um, in 800 BC, Homer writes the Iliad, and he puts, that, he puts this very succinctly in the very first line, the very first couple of lines of the Iliad. He says, Sing, O goddess, the anger of Achilles, son of Peleus, that brought countless ills upon the Achaeans, Many a brave soul did it send hurrying down to Hades, right? So these people got killed, these uh, brave souls got killed, and their souls scurried away to the underworld, right? So when you die, your soul leaves your body, right? It goes off somewhere. Where does it go? Back to the mothership. Back to the mothership. How do you know? 
how am I going to measure where it goes, where it travels, how far it travels, how far it stays gone for? Does it come back? Right? So um, these are going to be difficult questions. And typically, quite frequently, in primitive, what I call primitive cultures or indigenous cultures, we have uh, present in religious rituals the ability to retrieve souls that have left bodies, right? Um, my uh, fiance is a uh, indigenous healer. Um, her grandparents are uh, Mayan and Aztec, and she's uh, learned the traditional uh, indigenous healing uh, from them. And one of the uh, healing rituals that she knows and knows how to do is soul retrieval. She can walk up to someone and she can feel when their soul is absent from their body. And off what she'll do when she, she, I was talking to her about this last night, and she said what she'll do when she feels that is she'll start looking for the soul. Because she says oftentimes it'll, it'll hang around close to the body. It'll be somewhere near the body. Um, and uh, but sometimes it'll be far away so she'll sort of she what she gets is these sort of peripheral visions of um, spirits and entities and stuff so um, this is embedded in culture the idea that the body and the soul are two different things and this is known as dualism right your book talks about dualism and monism this is a dualistic philosophy and this exists before the Greeks start thinking about dualism and monism. But they're going to start developing their ideas of dualism and monism uh, really from these primitive philosophies that come before the Greeks, pre-Greek philosophy. Uh, questions so far? Ideas? Um, let's talk about the Greeks. Um, the first Greek philosopher uh, that I'll talk about that has dealt with the soul and the body uh, was Democritus. And his idea about everything in the universe was everything in the universe, including our souls, is made up of these tiny particles, he said, that are constantly in motion. Gee, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Um, you know, thousands of years before um, we came up with the idea of atomic physics, we've got this guy saying, you know what? Everything is made up of these particles that are in motion. Um, but he said that the soul also is. The soul is made up of slightly different particles that are a little bit smoother, he said. Um, which is kind of a weird, you know, weird differentiation to make. But there's all, you'll see this... Um, theme that we want to differentiate the soul from other stuff, that it's something special and unique. Um, and he says, uh, what happens at death is these particles become dispersed, right? Your body decays. The particles that are in motion disperse and go out back into everything else. And he said the soul included. So the soul can't exist independent of the body. It just dissolves, right? It doesn't have an entity that's separate from the body. It's part of the body. Plato comes along and he says, you know what? That's wrong. And he says, the soul is uh, immaterial. It doesn't have any mass. And it's distinct from the material body. 
And um, we can know that because the soul has these weird properties. The soul has the ability to be in another place. Like I can be at my desk and be here at the same time. I'm at my desk in my mind, but physically I'm standing here standing, holding this podium. But I can be in my mind at my desk typing at my computer at my desk. How does that work? Um, and it, he says that it comprehends what he calls the ultimate reality, this idea of abstraction, being able to um, imagine futures that haven't come yet, right? being able to remember past events, um, and that it survives the death of the body. So when the body dies, the soul survives intact, but he doesn't say where it goes. Um, you know, we can't see it, we don't know where it goes, but it definitely survives. Here's the deal, and this is going to be a recurring theme too. Some of the events in Greek civilization um, around this time have led uh, people led people to want to have um, hope for the future, and this had an influence on Greek philosophy at the time. And Plato, uh, it is said that Plato responded to that by sort of creating uh, this philosophy that led to the idea that there was hope beyond what they were feeling at the time, which was um, there was a series of unfortunate events that gave some despair in the culture. And we'll see how that comes to play later on, too. Um, Plato's student was who? Aristotle, his fam most famous student. And uh, Aristotle, I'm going to tell you, in my opinion, is the first psychologist. Your book is going to say the first psychologist is Wilhelm Wundt um, in a psychology lab. But the first person who's really going to use um, what are really the methods of uh, psychology is Aristotle. And Aristotle is important for three reasons, I think. The first one is that he undertakes to study what the soul is um, systematically, logically and systematically. Um, and he wants to figure out what its relation is to living beings. Is it part of living beings? Is it separate from living beings? And here's what he comes up with as a product of that study. He says, the soul is an expression of living beings, right? The process of living gives rise to the soul. So we have these physical bodies, and the process of these physical bodies existing and going through life gives rise to the soul. But he says it works the other way, too. The soul affects the living bodies and animates these living bodies. And so it has this very reciprocal kind of uh, uh, process. Um, so they can't be separate. They have to be part of the same thing because they have that reciprocal relationship. And the third thing that makes him, I think, uh, what I would say is the first psychologist, not necessarily scientific psychologist, but psychologist, is that he undertook very careful observation, description, and more importantly, what psychologists do, which is interpretation of human behavior. Um, so he observes human behavior, he describes it in, in very uh, intense detail, and he tries to interpret why people are doing the things that they do.
Um, and that's really what psychologists do. That's how we go through um, understanding behavior. So here are some of the things that he studied in this uh, book, uh, this essay, really, uh, Parva Naturalia. Um, and these are the subject of scientific psychology right now. You know, he was looking at and trying to understand the things that we're looking at and trying to understand. We're doing it from a scientific perspective. He was doing it from a philosophical perspective, right? So, um, so this is that kind of important train of thought of trying to figure out human behavior and trying to figure out this animating force, what gives rise to human behavior and how it works. Okay, so this is all the Greek philosophers were working, say, between about uh, 400 B.C., no, well, about 600 B.C. to about 400 B.C. And um, we're going to jump way ahead, about a thousand years, almost a thousand years here, um, and talk about um, the Catholic Church and uh, the city-state Rome. Um, remember that uh, we've gone through some really awful events um, in the first few hundred years of the, um, uh, the post-AD uh, period, right? Such as the plague, the Dark Ages, the, the Crusades will come up. Um, this is a period of... Um, what I'll call worldly despair. Um, this is not uh, this is not a happy time to live in the world, uh, unless you're part of the elite class and um, you're uh, part of the church. Um, it's a pretty miserable existence, and the church um, uh, sort of uh, gives rise to this notion that um, human beings have brought this upon themselves with their uh, sins. And the idea here is that we have the guilt for um, having sinned and having brought this upon ourselves and others, but the church provides an option for restitution. And here's that hope again. Just like with the Greeks, this, is, um, this gives people the ability to have some hope that through atonement, through union with the divine, that we can rise above this despair. We can have restitution and we can rise above the despair. Um, and the church has the concept that the soul transcends the physical body. Um, and this is, you know, solidly dualistic. Well, that's all good and fine, except, guess what? The uh, Catholic Church goes down to uh, the Middle East, and it decides that it's got to, uh, you know, quote-unquote, uh, save the heathens, uh, the Muslim heathens down there. You know, it's like, yeah, whatever. Guess what? The Muslim uh, Arab countries have the most advanced academic culture in the world at this time, right? Um, you know, they're doing things while we're up in, in Europe bashing each other with blunt objects, you know, trying to bash each other into submission. You know, they're developing algebra. They're developing engineering. They're building these amazing... Um, structures. What's that? Chemistry, and alchemy. Chemistry, alchemy. This is all coming out of this uh, Arab scholarship, uh, and so the Crusades go down there and say, 
whoa, look at all these scrolls. I think we should take these back to Europe. So they pick up um, this Greek philosophy, which was translated by the Arab scholars, and bring it on back uh, to Rome. And it gets translated into Latin. And what happens as a result, partly of that, is that this Aristotelian philosophy is rediscovered. You know, it's essentially discovered by the Europeans, but it's rediscovered because it's already been discovered by first who who picks up the Greek civilization after it collapses, the Byzantines, yeah, and then that um, gets translated and it winds up getting translated, picked up and translated in Arabic, and it finally makes it back into Europe in Latin. And um, Aristotle is studying behavior and human beings from a very naturalistic standpoint. It's not so much that the soul is some sort of divine gift, but rather a product of our living. And so um, there's a new interest now in trying to study this from this perspective. And Thomas Aquinas is going to be the pivotal figure here. Aquinas reads this Aristotelian philosophy, but he's a church philosopher. He's a theologian and a church philosopher. But he finds a way to take the Aristotelian philosophy and integrate it with this dualistic perspective, um, which makes it acceptable to the church. And what's going to happen is we're going to see the start of experimentation. The church says, you know what? Understanding the natural world independent of God's word is not necessarily a bad thing. So we're going to look the other way when these scientists go off and do their experiments. Right? So this is kind of the beginning of being able to do science. So we've got the philosophy up to this point, and now we're seeing a transition to trying to understand behavior in the natural world through science rather than um, trying to understand it from a, a, a more um, ordained kind of way. Um, questions on that? We're about out of time. Um, what we'll pick up next time is uh, we're going to pick up the Renaissance, which is going to start about the 14th century up till about the 16th century. Then we'll cover the 17th and 18th century philosophers, which are mostly French and British. And, um, and then we'll talk about um, what happens in the 19th century with experimentation and the beginning of um, Wundt's lab and then um, the integration of philosophy and science to create psychology. But we'll have time to do that uh, on Tuesday. There's a reminder. Um, please read chapter one and do at least the uh, chapter 1.2 exercise and bring that to class on Tuesday, okay? And uh, it would be useful if you read about the first half of chapter two in the textbook. Um, we won't get through the whole chapter, but we'll start chapter two in the textbook. So I'll see you on Tuesday, eh? <laughs> Sometimes it comes out. You know what? Sometimes the um, Southern comes out too because I'll.